Voice soaked in whiskey. <laughs> there it is. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's like the champagne of the Tennessee Valley. Liquid gold, Mikey. Where the water is brown and the friends are old. Welcome to Liquid Gold. Cheers, gentlemen. It's the Tennessee Whiskey episode right here on Liquid Gold. No big deal, just 130 years in the making. Yeah, 140, give or take a a couple (laughs) decades. Here we are on Liquid Gold, and one of our old friends, Charlie Nelson of Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, they have recently relaunched a fairly epic tale of Tennessee whiskey. Uh, The Nelson's Tennessee whiskey is back, and we're going to talk all about that as well as some amazing stories. You're in for a treat today right here on Liquid Gold, brought to you by We Own This Town, weownthistown.net. You can find us on there and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. And my name's Mike Wolf, here today with you, along with my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman. How are you today? (laughs) You can call me Mike Kenneth. Mike Kenneth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing great, man. Mike Kenneth go. (laughs) Dude, I'm pumped to be here. This is great. Yeah, this is a... This is an epic episode, I can tell. I can tell. I gotta calm down. Definitely. (laughs) We do want to give a shout out to a sponsor of ours here on the program, Walker Jewelry. Lindsay Walker. Lindsay Walker. Making amazing jewelry over there in Old Hickory, just across the river from Madison and East Nashville. Walker Jewelry is at 105 24th Street in Old Hickory, Tennessee, and she is going to be making some custom bar spoons coming up. Uh, we were talking to her about that. That's kind of an exciting project that she is getting underway over there. And then she's also going to be teaching some jewelry classes and she'll be launching the community jewelry space this month and next month. It'll be open to the public and anyone looking for a space to do uh, metal work, she'll have a shop space for that. You can find her at walkerjewelry.com and on Instagram at walkerjewelry. She does amazing stuff. I used to wear her bolo ties all the time behind the bar. Yeah, she's making and me a belt buckle from my like bike gang from uh, from college. The standards, it's like the skull with a bumblebee body. Nice, hell yeah! I'll be on the lookout for that around town. So Walker Jewelry, shout out to Lindsay. Bicycle gang. It was a bicycle <laughs> gang, mind you. Okay, <laughs> deal. <laughs> They're like twenty five year olds on BMXs <laughs> <laughs> drinking Coors Light. It's pretty good. <laughs> Also have to throw a mention out to my new book, Garden to Glass, Grow Your Drinks from the Ground Up, out Tuesday, November 12th. Thanks to everybody for coming out to Parnassus. What a great uh, gathering. It was great, wasn't it? Um, God, that was amazing. Uh, you can find the book at Parnassus at the bookshop in East Nashville. You can order it on Amazon, all those things. Ask your local bookshop to carry it. Those of you around the country and around the world listening to a shout out to our brother Matthew from Warsaw, Poland, who listens to the show. Thank you for listening. Cool. And Thank you, Matthew. Some things we're not mm. going to talk about today on the show. Aging White Claw in barrels. Because <laughs> uh, it's just, it's probably not a thing. It's not a thing for your winter drink list. You probably need more planning. But I just wanted to get Kenneth angry. <laughs> I just imagine it. it no. Oh, he's happy. Yeah, he's yeah dude. Like, imagine Kenneth loves it. I mean, it's a malt. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's nothing wrong with that. It looks not really unlike aging like a space side scotch. It's a little bit unlike it, but um, 
we won't we won't get into it a ton. Uh, another thing we don't have time to get into is the three of us playing three on three basketball, because I feel like Ooh. we would dominate. Because we got Charlie playing like the power forward slash center. Yeah. He can post up down low. He's gonna protect the rim. Uh, you're kind of Trevor Ariza back when he was good and could play defense. Um, you're kind of hounding the perimeter, but also slashing and dashing. And then I'm running the point. I'm dishing, pick and rolling. And uh, so it's kind of – I would not challenge the three of us in a three-on-three basketball game. I got kind of an ankle thing right now. So, yeah, I'll hang on the perimeter, make plays happen, but that's I'm going to need you all to do the footwork. That's just you trying crush. to hustle. Yeah, yeah. And you do, have a, you do have a basketball court at the distillery, which is awesome. I mean – It's a half court. Yeah. It's a hoop. Kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're here to talk about the relaunch of a, a brand that was once one of the biggest whiskey brands in America, Nelson's Tennessee Whiskey. Why don't we just go way back? Kenneth and I have done the tour and heard the story, but for our listeners who haven't heard the story, and I know you've told it a million times, so I'm sorry, but it's a fascinating tale. How did your family get into uh, the business of making whiskey? Yeah, so so it is a long story, uh, and I I don't really have very many short stories. As uh, that's okay, you've already podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it it starts with my great great-great-grandfather, Charles Nelson, Mm -hmm. triple-great-grandfather, born on the 4th of July, 1835 in Germany, which just love the fact he was born on the 4th of July, and that's part of the reason why we have a a celebration on the 4th of July every year, not only celebrating just, you know, our nation, but also Charles Nelson's birthday. He came over from Germany with literally nothing but the clothes on his back in 1850. His father had a uh, soap and candle factory, which he sold and converted all the family's earthly possessions to gold, had that gold sewn into his clothing, and you know, which he obviously wore on his person. Yeah, that's the, an amazing part of the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the gold sewn in to the clothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it, you know, it was a little bit, uh, it was kind of like the old school way of uh, handcuffing a briefcase to your wrist mm-hmm. or something, you know? Well, and it's like the pants they sell for people that go to like Europe, like, Oh, you're going to be, uh, you know, going through Madrid and Barcelona. Like you need these cargo pants that have all these pockets that are like the CIA wears them. Yeah. They're super secure. <laughs> this is like the 1840s version of that. Yeah. I guess you just sew stuff into your clothes. Cause you had to know how to sew back then. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> now I'm just like, yeah, it's really not that some, hard. Buy some back pants then. with more Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you know the the family's on a ship, the Helena Sloman, crossing the Atlantic and encounters severe storms. Ship is damaged. A lot of passengers knocked overboard. The ship goes down. The father is one of the passengers knocked overboard, and with all the you know the weight of the gold sewn into his clothing, he goes straight to the bottom of the Atlantic. Kind of crazy. So it's amazing. Um, the rest of the family, fortunately, is rescued, and the rest of the passengers by a ship named the Devonshire. They make it safely to New York, but with literally nothing but the clothes on their backs. And Charles is the oldest, 15 at the time, takes over as man of the family, finds work making soap and candles at Hayes and Schultz firm, works there for two years, moves to Cincinnati, becomes a butcher, and that's where he learns about the production of alcohol because the pigs that he's butchering are being fed by spent mash from a nearby distillery. Learns about the production of, the al- of alcohol. Then before the start of the Civil War, moves to Nashville, starts a wholesale grocery business where he was one of the first to bottle and sell whiskey rather than selling it by the barrel or the jug. And he was just bottling whiskey mm-hmm. uh, from a distillery about 20, 25 miles north of here in what's now Greenbrier, but uh, it wasn't 
really a town then there were only like six families that lived in the area Mm -hmm. and then he realized the demand for his whiskey far exceeded supply bought the distillery that was producing it greatly expanded it bought a patent for improved distillation expanded the distillery became one of the largest in the country and by far the largest in tennessee and he ended up producing about 30 different labels all kinds of different whiskeys brandies even gin and um by like 1885, for example, he was selling nearly like 2 million bottles a year all over the U.S., even some in Europe and uh, even as far as the Philippines. And Sheesh. Then, yeah. Then he died 1891. His wife, Louisa, took over as one of the only women to run a distillery, which something we're super proud of. Mm-hmm. And she ran it for the last 18 years until 1909 when statewide prohibition hit Tennessee, forcing them to close their doors. And... Um, then growing up, I, I didn't really know about it, about the distillery, but my dad went in with three of his buddies to buy a cow worth of meat from a butcher in 2006, uh, 13 years ago, and invited me and my brother to go with him to pick up our quarter of a cow worth of meat. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're like, yeah, sure, this sounds fun. Yeah, this is rustic. Yeah. <laughs> ah, sounds great. Yeah. And Chuck Grissom was the butcher. He was, uh, he was the man. And uh-huh. he... Um, Perfect name for a butcher. Yeah, yeah, Chuck. And, and uh, there's something about like I love you know when someone whistles their s's um, a little bit like, "Hey boys, y'all want some summer sausages?" <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not very good at it, but um, anyway, on yeah. our way there, we're running low on fuel. We stop to fill up, and at the gas station, there's this historical marker that says Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. One mile east on Long Branch Road, Charles Nelson opened the Greenbrier Distillery. We're like, holy crap, what is this? Go on to the butcher, meet Chuck. He shows us across the street, old barrel warehouse still standing, original spring still running, drank from the spring. And then he sends us to a nearby historical society where there were two original bottles with my name on them. Two bottles just like this one that we're drinking here. Wow. And, um... Yeah, they weren't they weren't full and they weren't in as good of condition as this one. But right, um, like every hair on my body stood up, and you know, my brother and I looked at each other. We're just like, man, this is this is what we're here to do. Yeah, been working on resurrecting the company ever since. That's amazing. What a story! And you didn't so you didn't have to look far when it came time to label this this whiskey that was once one of the just most popular biggest whiskey brands in america you went right back to to the old label and kind of i wouldn't say refurbished it but just sort of touched it up um but it looks very very close to the original label correct yeah 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 and and beautiful the the bottle shape too uh we actually we took an original bottle and did like a 3d scan of it and Mm. that's how we got the bottle shape um, and we added a couple little embellishments, like mm-hmm. on the back, we added this DSP TN5 because it was back in the day, it was known as old number five because it was registered distillery number five in the state of Tennessee. And the federal government gave us an historic designation and of DSP TN5. So we you know, put that on the label or on the bottle. And then on the bottom, we added some little embellishments of like Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. And then again, that DSP5 logo that's killer were, were there any was there any like red tape yeah that you had to get 
go through with the with the federal government the yeah the the at i don't know the atf to 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 acquire this label yeah uh oh to to get the label not really so so the the governing body is now the ttb uh okay yeah yeah the ttb atf um the ttb is the tax and trade bureau and so we actually thought that it was going to be a much more difficult time to get like the historic designation, the DSP TN five distilled spirits plant, Tennessee five. Um, but because we had this documentation and, you know, records of it back in the day, it was, you know, we were able to, to make it go through a little bit faster. And also Dave Pickerel, who was like, sure. um, RIP. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually just about a, a year ago that he passed away, but um, yeah. And tell but, tell our just for our listeners a little bit about him. What yeah. a, what a big f- uh, figure he is oh in the gosh. world of whiskey. Yeah, because that, that's huge. He he's been so instrumental in in maybe reviving an old brand or helping a, a newer brand get yeah. off get off the ground stuff like that. Totally. So tell us a little bit about him. So Dave, he's a, a chemical engineer by trade, and. Uh, he, you know, he was a vet. He, he went to West Point and, uh, he, he, he played football and anyway, he was the master distiller of maker's mark for gosh, nearly two decades, I think probably maybe 15 years, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And then he left makers and, uh, was going to consult in, you know, with helping open smaller distilleries. And the first distillery that he started consulting with was Willett then known as Kentucky bourbon distillers. And we actually, we met him and um, we kind of signed him up to consult with us. And we were going to actually have him, you know, work with us exclusively and like full time uh, and maybe still do some stuff with Willett. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so we had enough money to pay him for three months. And uh, we thought like, oh, we could raise millions of dollars in three months we know some rich people and after three months we were out of money and he was like guys uh you know i I really want to continue helping but i am gonna have to make some money so i'm gonna have to take on some other clients who were like yeah totally understand he continued to work for us for like two and a half years uh for free which was amazing but he started taking on a lot more clients and kind of became like the Johnny Appleseed of the micro distillery or craft whiskey scene. And so like, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he he like, he has his fingerprints on almost every known like micro or craft whiskey brand in the country, whether they're willing to admit it or not. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's helped, you know, design, build, startup, run distillery, like, I mean, probably in the hundreds of distilleries in the U.S. and and you know from small, tiny to to pretty dang big. Yeah, is there one key lesson that you learned from him? Like, I imagine he's one of those guys who uh, to distilleries starting out that he's he can kind of tell you, well, this is what you want to watch out for, or this is you got to be careful when doing this. Is there something that you that you learned from him that you kind of that still sticks with you? Yeah, I mean. There's a handful of things. Yeah. I wouldn't say that there's there's just one, but um, you know, definitely one thing that he was a proponent of was just he 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 wasn't like a 
a snob about things. You know, it was, you know, everybody has their own style and their own taste and their own, you know, things that they like and don't like and that you should respect that. But he also, he was always talking about, you know, just make sure that what you do, do it the best that you can and do the highest quality stuff that will last the longest, whether it's making whiskey or like merch or, you know, whatever it is. And he also like something that was really special about him was that he had really the big picture in mind at all times. Like he, he could talk to the, the nerdiest scientist about chemical engineers, but he could also talk to the average consumer and speak in, in layman's terms so that they could, he could take a really complex subject and simplify it and make it so that anybody could understand what he was talking about. And I think that that has his influence on a lot of people has helped shape sort of where we are today in the whiskey industry, because I think he played a big role in making it a lot more sort of simplifying things and uh, making it easier for people to understand Mm -hmm. what whiskey is all about. Mm Mm-hmm. So with the relaunch of the Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey being a, a, a new product for you guys um, in this, this kind of second golden age of, yeah. the, uh, of the Greenbrier Distillery, you didn't start with this product. You started right. with the Bellmead Bourbon, which people have been drinking all over town for years. Kenneth and I have poured, we don't know how many bottles, so many. <laughs> we had the, uh, the Gateway drink at Husk. Well, we should share that recipe later. That's a good yeah, one because right. that, was, that was like our way to... Oh, you don't like whiskey? Are you sure? Try this drink. Yeah. Uh, so we'll give the same for we'll, yeah. Charlie Nelson's War. That's right, Charlie <laughs> yes. Nelson's War. God, that might be the best drink name ever. <laughs> so, I'm only a little biased. Tell us a little bit about the decision to relaunch the distillery with the bourbon. Now, I could guess that it was maybe because we were sort of at the beginning of another bourbon boom that was going on. Was that part of it or was there more to it? But why start uh, relaunch things with the Bellmead bourbon? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, everything that we do, we want to keep in line with the history of the original. And so our, our plan originally was to raise a bunch of money, build out the distillery, start laying down barrels of our Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey, not sell anything until those barrels were, you know, several years old. That was a tough pitch to investors. Yeah. Um, but at the time, all we knew about was this, you know, Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey. And after doing research in, you know, state archives, county archives, and, you know, just digging around a lot, we found most of what I told you in that first story about how the distillery came to be and everything. And we found that Charles Nelson produced about 30 different labels. And out of those different labels, he produced a handful in conjunction with other companies, one of which was Bell Mead. So Bell Mead historically was produced in conjunction with the Sperry Wading Company, who owned the Bell Mead Distillery. And they distilled Bell Mead. Charles Nelson aged and bottled it. Mm. So Again, going back to the fact that like everything we do, we try to keep in line with the history of the original. So starting out, we couldn't afford to buy all the equipment and build out the distillery up front. So my family and I, we put up literally everything that we owned to personally guarantee a loan to get started sourcing barrels and then working with a contract distillery to create Bell Mead, which, you know, 
historically Charles Nelson didn't distill it, but right. he aged and bottled it. So right. that's kind of what we were doing starting yeah. out. It's in the and, family banner. Yeah. 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 So Belmead was originally meant to be just a bridge to get us to Greenbrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, fortunately we, we have made it to, <laughs> to Greenbrier and, but we love Belmead and it's become, you know, with the support of folks like y'all and just mm. the, the city of Nashville, like we definitely want to keep that growing and, and going and just, you know, and it's a totally different label, totally different recipe, everything yep. than, um, than what we're drinking right now tonight. Yeah. It's a high rye bourbon. <laughs> Great in cocktails, great on its own, as you know, um, and there's all kinds of different expressions of it. Yeah. Uh, barrel finishes, the cognac, which we love, the Madeira finish, sherry finish, um, and those have all done really well for you guys nationwide, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you been surprised at how much, with the with the goal being, let's get this baby off the ground, let's risk... You know, because there's a lot. Of, there was a lot of risk in it for you guys. This is a, yeah, a testament um, to how humble this was because you did start out only in like in the Nashville market, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that that was how I met you was because I don't, I don't, I, I figure um, y'all repping your brand with how many employees to start? Like uh, two, two. Me, me yeah, and my brother. And your brother. <laughs> yeah, like you. Yeah, basically yeah. went around to every place in town and did it the hard way, which is the right way. Like, yeah, yeah. My yeah. For the first time I met you, I was bartending at Holland House. <laughs> yeah, sidled right up to the bar, started yeah. drinking God. some bourbon, Holland and then I heard the story. Man, and uh, you were at Rumors East for yeah. a little bit too, right? Yeah, after that. So um, you'd walk right across the alley. Yeah. <laughs> you are our and, favorite regular. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, golly, that was great. Because what did you live over there? Yeah, I lived in that. I lived across the alley in the carriage house, like the garage apartment, right across. No, no. That was that was part of the property, but um, so gosh, that was like twelve years ago that I first started leasing that house. I found it on Craigslist, and it was like less than two grand a month for like thirty five hundred square feet. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, and so I I had like at times two roommates, at other times three roommates, and. Um, you know, it was three bedroom, three bath. And, uh, the, the front room in the house was our office. And so my brother and I worked there and, and it was the reason why I loved that house is because it was impressive when you walked in and like for people that didn't know that like we were only using the front room of the house, they would be like, Oh wow. Yeah. This this must be like an established company if they own oh, this yeah. house. <laughs> like it's a law office was, or something. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we got the some, yeah, some so like, leather chairs upstairs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we wouldn't let anybody leave yeah. the, the front room. Yeah, it's locked. But. <laughs> yeah. And so like it was an impressive entrance. Yeah. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so right across the alley was Rumors East and it was – there's an all-star crew that worked yeah. there and sort yeah, of the, the rumors times. east diaspora is is really yeah. impressive future husk cast members there's jess and yeah. uh, patrick goodspeed yeah adam yeah. bender went over to catbird from there yep ed later worked for you guys he ed he still work yeah ed, okay yeah ed works at the distillery yeah he's the the distillers ma- the manager of distilling wow. operations yeah. that's amazing shout out to ed yeah what a guy what a great bartender what too what so was it surprising just to see the growth of it? And was it like, wow, we, we have this goal in mind to release this product that you've just released now, 
but we're talking about eight years or so of growth, nine yeah. years of growth. What has that been like? Because Kenneth and I have been following you on Instagram for years now, and it's like, Char- Charlie's in Dallas. They're in Dallas now. Yeah. Charlie's in St. Louis. How many, how many Charlie's markets in are Chicago. you in yeah. like, It's like, where's Waldo or something? <laughs> Charlie's <laughs> popping up with a glass of bourbon in, in every city. And uh, But that's that has got to be an amazing part of the journey yeah, for you yeah now you're all over the country yeah so to answer ken's question uh we're we're currently in about 25 states wow um and and to answer directly what you were asking is <laughs> I, I, like i don't remember exactly how you posed it but have i been sort of surprised by the level of support that we've gotten once we discovered our you know family's history and everything I went and and I had one semester of college left. I took one business class about it was writing a business plan and um, there's a chapter on family businesses and basically it was the whole thing was about why you should not go into family businesses. But write this business plan and in '06, I think I had a line in like 2013 take over the world. Like I was expecting us to be nationally distributed all okay, 50 yeah. states yeah. and internationally. All right. Um, and so I had pretty high unrealistic expectations. Okay. Um, we hadn't even finished building out our own distillery in 2013. Yeah. And you're like, are so, we in Alaska yet? <laughs> yeah. Are we number right. one in Hawaii yet or what? <laughs> so we're, we're, we're a few years behind. Oh. Uh, but also at the time, you know, when we first discovered this, there were maybe a dozen distilleries in the country making whiskey. Yeah. And we didn't even know that small distilleries existed. Yeah. We thought that it was that you were small if you were producing a couple hundred thousand cases a year. Mm-hmm. And we're, Yeah, but if you rewind that like 10 years, there were like there weren't that many breweries either. Right. Like there were there were probably I think like in the early 90s there were 200 craft breweries in the United States. Right. 10, 10 years later, there were like 2,000. Yeah. And so, yeah, I could imagine in the distilling game, it was about the same, if yeah. not like more more pronounced. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like in 06, there were, you know, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so making whiskey, and now there's like 2,000 in the country. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, That's nuts, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, the laws loosened up a little bit, and there's – Come a lot more competition than I expected there would be. I mean, I, I knew like, yeah, there's going to be more players coming on the scene, but I, I didn't yep. anticipate how big that explosion would be. And so we were like just a little bit before, I mean, our timing in some ways was amazing because we were right before, but at the same time, we didn't have any money to take advantage of that opportunity. Mm. So that made things a little bit more challenging. But yeah, the I mean, the level of support has been incredible, yeah. especially with the amount of different brands and opportunities that are pulling at, at you know, the gatekeepers. But the support here in Nashville, I mean, I can't put enough, you know, emphasis on how incredible it's been. And the Nashville community just kind of like propped us up and mm-hmm. allowed us the opportunity to grow and to attract investors and build out our distillery. And, and I mean, without the Nashville community, there's no way we'd be where we are today. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a supportive drinking community. I think here on that same uh, topic, you've released the, the Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey in Nashville and it's going to stay in Nashville. 
Is yeah. that right? For the for the first year or so, yeah, you're kind of keeping it in Nashville, and it'll go national in the summer of 2020. Is that the plans? Uh, so the plan is initially, you know, like for the first year or so, just in Nashville, mm-hmm. Middle Tennessee area, and we will expand probably into a little bit further into Tennessee, and then in 2020, start to like late 2020, probably start to maybe go into a couple mm-hmm. other regional markets and then not go national until like 2021 2022 yeah let's we could jump ahead a little bit too to the whole like taking over the world yeah uh, part because one of the most fascinating things about the category of tennessee whiskey is how well it does internationally yeah. how well it does all over the world totally do you see is that is that part of your overall strategy is is Jack Daniels sells well all over the world? I don't know the numbers on on what Dickel does uh, all around the world. I know yeah. it's, they're a little bit smaller than Jack, but uh, do you see that as just opportunity? This is a category around the world. People want to drink Tennessee whiskey. We have one of the best stories yeah. of of any liquor brand in the country. Yeah, and that really sets you up for a lot of growth. I would think. Yeah. So, so when we first discovered, you know, these original bottles and when I first saw that label with my name on it, it was like immediately I was just like transported to another dimension. (laughs) But like, I immediately was just like, I saw like my life flash in front of my eyes, basically traveling around the world. And I distinctly remember like being like in and just in my mind, yeah. <laughs> like I've never been there in real life, but in Japan, sharing not just whiskey, but stories yeah, and stories of, of like somewhat American culture and, and Tennessee stories and mm-hmm. culture. And, mm-hmm. and I was just like this, this it's, it's more than just whiskey to me. I've said this a bunch of times before where I, I don't consider myself like a a whiskey salesman or anything i mean yeah i guess that is part of the job but like i consider more just like sharing my story and hoping to inspire other people and i think that it it does sometimes move people and i think that that just like building relationships with other humans is much more important than just like selling one bottle of whiskey yeah and I know I'm not really answering your question directly. I can't remember what it was. No, I get it. I guess, uh, Um, I guess, did you, did you like, there is this great homegrown story, right? And and you're releasing this label back out into the world, but, but exclusively to Nashville first. Yeah. But there's gotta be some thought to the fact that you are right in a category, Tennessee whiskey. Right, right. And you're so authentic in that category and there's so much growth worldwide for that category totally that you're kind of like you're, you're starting humble in nashville and you're telling the story and and it's authentic and it's all great but there's also what a bright future for this yeah and, and do you you know with the goals that you had for bellamy bourbon and this distillery overall this has got to feel good that that you are right on the cusp of you know releasing this into the you know worldwide yeah by, by next year so that's got to be exciting and do yeah. you see a big future for it for sure yeah. and and so and bell mead bourbon is is amazing um but what we want to take over the world with is the nelson's greenbrier tennessee whiskey because yeah. that that's that's the brand that essentially helped create the category of tennessee whiskey in the mm. first place and 
prior to prohibition, we have records of it being sold all throughout the U.S., even in Paris, France, in Spain. Wow. We have records of it being in Russia and the Philippines. And so, like, I know they're probably... All of the Commonwealth. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, you know, people may not necessarily be alive to remember that it was sold in those markets, but we're not changing things up too much in terms of like the label and the recipe and everything like that. So if it could have been done over a hundred years ago, then why not today? And, right, and for with, sure with the history and, and the story, there are international that. markets that you're maybe bell meat is distributed in right now that, that, uh, so that... bell meat's not distributed internationally yet. We, we definitely want to get there, but like we're, we're still, you mentioned Japan. So like you do have yeah. like these end games of like hitting all of these places. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And actually let me take a step back. Actually. Um, I did just recently get this weekend. I got a text from this couple that I met in Maryland like a couple years ago and the husband uh, was in the secret service and now he's retired and then came out of retirement and now he trains secret service agents. Mm. Um, And he was just in uh, Argentina in Buenos Aires and they, this past weekend and they texted me a picture of a menu at a bar in Buenos Aires and it had Bellmead bourbon on wow. it and they bought it and they were like sending me pictures of them cheersing and like cheersing with their server or bartender or whoever it was. Wow. We definitely didn't, it's not there legally. I'm guessing yeah. someone, you know, bought a bottle in Nashville or Bro- somewhere. Brought a case the, back. Yeah. 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 So I guess in some ways we are distributed internationally, but not uh, not on purpose. Yeah, you're making your way us. out there. It's funny you bring little up little. Maryland, though, because you do have um, a lot of fans in Maryland, also like the D.C. area. Yeah. Because you introduced me one night, this five or six years ago, to a chef, a D.C. chef named uh, Derek Brown. Oh, yeah. Who I just happened to a week later be going to D.C., to meet up, and funny you would say this story too, to meet up with a friend of mine who works in the Secret Service. No kidding. Yeah, we went to a punk rock show right around the corner at the at the Howard Theater and nice. uh, popped into Southern Efficiency, and Derek Brown styled us out, and everyone in the bar was drinking Bellmead bourbon. Hell yeah. Like, it was, it, was, it, it was a really trippy experience because I'm in... This is six years ago, five or six years ago, in another town. Y'all were still a very small company, but you were in in the D.C. market at least, and it was well-received, and I felt right at home. Yeah, I'll be sure not to criticize the president too much in your presence. Uh, (laughs) Either one of you. (laughs) And just to give some perspective, this was in uh, researching for today, uh, came across some... You know, a handful of just fascinating things about Greenbrier Distillery over the years and back in the heyday. In 1885, they sold they sold about 380,000 gallons of whiskey. We have a heckler. Uh, to, put, <laughs> to put that into perspective, Old Taylor Distillery opened in Kentucky in 1887 and would later become the first distillery in America to ship 1 million cases or just shy of 1.2 million gallons. Hmm. So while Greenbrier wasn't the absolute biggest in the country, they were right up there. Yeah. Um, so that's that's pretty fascinating. Um, so to jump in to give you a little bit of an idea yes. uh, of like uh, comparison. So in Tennessee, 
prior to Prohibition, there were about 1,000 registered distilleries in the state. There were about 8,000 registered distilleries in the country. And annually, Tennessee was producing about 1.2 million gallons a year, right, between 1,000 distilleries. And in 1885, we were producing nearly 400,000 gallons, so 380,000. So out of 1,000 distilleries in the state, we were producing nearly a third of the state's production. So one of the next largest producers was roughly like 30-ish thousand, maybe 50,000 gallons a year. So was the next largest producer was still a fraction of the size of of Nelson's Greenbrier. That's pretty amazing. How many distilleries do we have in Tennessee currently? Registered distilleries? Sure, uh, Getting around 40 probably. Uh, yeah, I, wow. I, I haven't checked recently, but yeah, there's there's probably 35-ish in the Tennessee Distillers Guild and then a handful that are outside of the guild. Is that just because of the 14-year gap of, of production? A lot of these distilleries in the in the late, late 19th century going into the, you said 1909? Yeah, that 1909 is when statewide prohibition. So, so that would have been a lot longer than federal prohibition. So yeah. they just s- snuffed out like yeah. all, of, all of these distilleries. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and so Tennessee was, you know, from 1909 until I think 1937. So went, we went a few years past the federal repeal of prohibition. So we were we were early adopters and you know we were early to the party and late to leave. Yeah, you're uh, like, right. are we sure? Are we sure? Are <laughs> <Yeah>. we sure? <laughs> we sure um, it's over? <laughs> yeah. It's um, funny. Some like political circles say that we were like the last to join the Confederacy and the yeah. first to leave. Yeah, is, is that, isn't that correct? <laughs> I I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I'd be Not we, but Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, another part of our history that is, we also I think we're like the last state sent the the defining vote to tip over uh, women's suffrage. So uh, we did cast that vote to, yeah. So that's a a, a good thing in in our. Uh, You're welcome. History. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, um, just kidding. Let's talk a little bit about what what makes Tennessee whiskey Tennessee whiskey because there's been some heated debates over the last, you know, yeah. 3 4 years about that. Now we know that one thing we can tell our listeners who maybe don't know a lot about this, you have the Lincoln County process, which is making charcoal from huge uh, ricks of sugar maple and you burn, you burn all this sugar maple. You make charcoal. The whiskey gets filtered through that, or yeah. and or rests in that. What did you find about that process when you're when you're researching the old recipes and the old processes? And where do you stand on that whole process and that whole designation? Because I know you were actually a proponent of that being left in the distinction of Tennessee yeah. whiskey. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so I, I had the pleasure of testifying in front of the state legislature a few times about this issue when it came to the definition of Tennessee whiskey. And I, I was pretty adamant about it because um, in my research and you know spending time looking at all these newspaper articles and um, you know different stuff uh, pertaining to Tennessee whiskey and the fact that like you know and Charles Nelson being one of the pioneers of Tennessee whiskey. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back then, 
there were articles that were written that was like, the headline was like, Tennessee whiskey different than bourbon. And it's only a slight, you know, difference in that Tennessee whiskey has to be filtered through sugar maple charcoal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all this talk about, well, not so much anymore, but over the last 10 years or so, there was a lot of talk and experimentation about rapid aging and, you know, how can you rapidly age spirits? Well, prior to prohibition in like the 1880s, there were articles saying that Tennessee whiskey would reach a level of maturity after only a couple years that bourbons and ryes and whiskeys from other states would take at least four to five years to reach that level of maturity. And they owed that to the charcoal mellowing process. Mm. And, you know, Charles Nelson said something along the lines of the charcoal mellowing process removes some of the heating elements that cause an unpleasant farewell. Although the aftermath of all whiskeys is unpleasant if consumed in too large of a quantity. Hmm. Amen to that. I, I, <laughs> That was a nice way to talk about hangovers, but yeah, right. Um, Such eloquent but, way, yeah. <laughs> the way the way they used to talk. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But you know, our we're not super aggressive with our charcoal mellowing. We want it to you know play a role, but we don't want it to be taking out too much flavor or anything. Yeah. Um, but prior to charcoal mellowing, just right off the still. You know, our mash bill is mostly corn, then wheat, then malted barley. And so, you know, bourbon and Tennessee whiskey all have to be a majority corn. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to the charcoal mellowing, the corn is almost, to me, it's a little bit bitter tasting. And then after the charcoal mellowing, it kind of opens it up mm. and tastes a little bit more like buttered popcorn to me. And so mm. I think that it's just a, that. Yeah. a little bit more pleasant. And yeah. anyway, I, I, think that there's a lot of flexibility that people have if they want to make Tennessee whiskey because you know based on the law all you really you could have a teeny tiny speck of charcoal that you know you run your distillate over before putting in the barrel and will have virtually no impact in on taste and you can call it Tennessee whiskey in name mm -hmm. or you can you know take it to the opposite end of the extreme and you know just like filter it through a million feet of charcoal and let it rest in there and, you mm -hmm. know, just strip the hell out of it and do whatever you want. Uh, but there, there's a lot of room for interpretation and in how you do it. Um, and so I, I think that as it was used back in the day, it, it was also used for marketing purposes, you know? Sure. That you could have a distinct product and go to different markets and talk about how your product's different and call it Tennessee whiskey to say that it's different from bourbon and rye and, mm -hmm. you know, whiskey right. from other states. And so I think that we in, in Tennessee have a, an advantage that we should use to... Yeah, yeah I think Jack yeah. Daniels, they kind of go by the like the theory of like we're bourbon plus one yeah. so like we qualify as a bourbon but we also have another process one more thing that we do to it and that's what makes it tennessee whiskey to totally. differentiate it from the bourbons that are literally only 40 50 miles starting yeah. north of here and i think right. that's a great way to look at it is that we're bourbon plus you know rather yeah. than like inferior to or you know right um yeah no, it's a it's a it's a heavy heavy discussion pretty much everywhere you go amongst 
people that love drinking whiskey. You know, it's a conversation piece. At the end of the day, if if, if it's good whiskey, it's good whiskey, and you're going to drink it and enjoy it. But once you get rowdy, it's something to argue about. Yeah. <laughs> and right. something that I think is really exciting, too, is that the world has really only known for the last century two Tennessee whiskeys. Yeah, and for sure. Now there are, what, close to 40 distilleries in Tennessee making Tennessee whiskey, and yeah. it's a pretty exciting time. There's going to be a bunch more Tennessee whiskeys coming onto the market that will show sort of a spectrum of different flavor profiles, and this, we're just at the very beginning of a really cool time in the Tennessee whiskey Definitely. Industry. And you guys went with the decision to use wheat. So you have corn, you have wheat. You have malted barley. Was using wheat, did that go back to the old recipe? Is that stuff that you found in the old recipe? And is that uncommon? Was that one of the things that made it unique initially? Yeah. Um, But yeah, talk about that decision. Yeah. So, I mean, because typically it would be rye or or wheat. Right, right. And, And there was. You know, today there's a lot more rye being used than wheat. And mm-hmm. um, back then there was a, a pretty good amount of rye being used and, and just a lot of rye whiskey yep. on the market as well. We made the decision to go with corn, wheat, and mar- malted barley because that's, you know, what they did historically. Yep. And uh, so we had, prior to Prohibition, like, I mean, around eight different Tennessee whiskeys that I know of. And we've got a couple of those original mash bills Mm. or recipes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we were able to sort of go back and and figure out what they were based on newspaper articles. And by the way, Robertson County and and Greenbrier, they grow a lot of wheat. So, and a lot of corn. And so that makes sense. Yeah. Rye doesn't, I mean, not that rye is not grow in the South, but I feel like wheat grows more plentiful. So price point wise, it might be. It was a lot easier. Cheaper than getting. Yeah. And rye's got a shorter season. I I know. I mean, I've, you you know, I've thrown rye in my garden. I haven't priced it out lately, but (laughs) I I haven't listened to the new Springsteen album either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Are they related? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he sings about right. like, grain prices all right. the time. Right. <laughs> There's like a grain price like <laughs> reference on every album he's ever put out. Like, <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> wheat, wheat prices kept on dropping. Had to work for the state. <laughs> oh, wow. That's good. We can't have all truth. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a whiskey episode. <laughs> but that's, that's really good. are there interesting things that you found in your research of finding recipes, finding, like, did you find notes? Like, oh, we tried this, you know, 1859. Yeah. We tried to use clovers in our, <laughs> in our brandy or something. Did you find a lot of interesting things that were just weird curiosities along the way yeah for sure i mean a a little bit you know going back to the charcoal mellowing uh it was interesting that i I did find record of them using a bunch of different types of wood like hickory wood Mm. cherry wood sure yeah there's a ton of hickory wood out here that would make sense Yeah. yeah and and nothing worked like the sugar maple charcoal did but this isn't Hmm. exactly what you were asking about but something that i did find that was really interesting that my parents had and it provided a little bit of information for me was this old leather bound ledger there was a transcript of a court case and charles nelson my triple great grandfather his first wife was named louise and he had a son named charles 
His second wife, uh, his first wife died shortly after giving birth, I believe. And then his second wife, to make things super confusing, was named Louisa. And he had multiple children with Louisa. The first son was named William. And so when Charles passed away, his will was, he essentially dictated his will to his wife, Louisa, on his deathbed. And interestingly enough, his first son from his previous marriage was written out of the will. He didn't get anything. And so this ledger that I, or this like booklet that I had was a a transcript of the court case where Charles was trying to get like his share of yeah yeah. he's like he forgot to say my name but he was on his deathbed so i understand but (laughs) yeah and (laughs) could i get some whiskey here story (laughs) let's go well actually so you know that's funny enough Uh, so i've got two letters from 1892 uh, because he died december 13th 1891 um and then the court case took place in 1892 and so it's this really cool old letterhead and it was actually created by the same lithography company that did u.s currency back in the day so it's, Whoa, it's really cool you know uh yeah anyway he ends up winning essentially 100 dollars a quarter and a case of whiskey each qu- a case of good whiskey each quarter and that was just a, a really fun thing and just reading the way that they spoke that the two brothers or half brothers i guess was was pretty cool but yeah i've I've found a lot of different sort of pieces of a lot of different artifacts and things that give a little bit of insight what about the old juice have you gotten any so tasted it haven't tasted any yet um but i do have probably gosh 40 plus and growing bottles um you know we've got some bottles of rye that are unopened from 1899 126 proof uh we've got some it was 126 proof Mm -hmm. oh wow Uh, we've got some bottles of the tennessee whiskey should be fine then yeah right (laughs) um i smell a liquid gold charity auction (laughs) yeah Yeah, so, oh, by the way, so we produce multiple types of Tennessee whiskey, multiple ryes, multiple bourbons, corn whiskeys, rye whiskeys, a malt whiskey, apple brandy, peach brandy, Mm. even gin. We produce one of the first American gins, uh, an Angelica wine. It was a fortified wine. That's amazing. Let's bring that back. Can we bring that back? I'd love to. I talk Um, about Angelica in the book, and it's a fascinating botanical. We used to use it, obviously, with uh, rhubarb is one of the main affinities for Angelica, but let's bring that back. The so bar that, world needs that. That's the only thing that I've actually tasted. Wow. Is some Angelica wine from like 1905. Holy cow. And it, it's a really cool label, and um, it's the bottle's really easy to open. It just crumble? Yeah. Well, uh, so there was... I, I bought all these bottles off of different people. Um, sure. Some... Off of this guy, Tommy Baggett, who unfortunately passed away within the last couple of years. And uh, amazing guy up in Greenbrier. Or actually, I guess he might have been in Springfield. But in Robertson County, sure. mm-hmm. his great-great-grandfather sold corn to my great-great-great-grandfather. I got uh, a handful of bottles from this guy, Randy, who's like one of the largest collectors of Jack Daniels in the world. Great guy. Then, you know, some other just different people. Uh, Buford Byram, a great guy. He... Uh, I was a big collector of Tennessee and Kentucky distillery artifacts and wow. and then some just one-offs. Anyway, the, the Angelica wine uh, was like 
poured out into a decanter and then I've still got probably three other unopened bottles of the Angelica wine. Wow. Uh, so why the hesitancy to taste any of these whiskeys you I have know. in your stable? Just yeah. Wants to grow. Wants yeah. to grow that grow that inventory. Well, there's got to be a little the fear maybe get, that the more you're just you get, gonna, this the more is the last gonna, whiskey I'm going to ever yeah, have. I know. Have I your know. pen and pen and paper ready. <laughs> I'm going to be dictating my will. Yeah, right. I mean, there's there's a little bit of that. There's yeah. also like the like we do have a bottle that the cork you can take out of it, but it looks like somebody maybe filled it with something other than uh. like there's some of the the bottles that are completely unopened like sealed with the lead <laughs> capsule sure yeah. Oh, yeah um yeah which gives me a little bit of pause but yeah. um this one that's not totally sealed it's like got like some residue on the glass and well, that's now we're just whiskey i don't know it could just be yeah. evaporation i remember yeah. mikey and i opened a bottle of david nicholson from 1945 one time yeah that was uh... it was yeah it tasted like a blueberry yeah but yeah, there was about, I mean, this was like a pint, like a yeah. hip bottle. It was about three fourths of an inch lower than oh, it sure. was originally bottled mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on evaporation. And oh my God, like that was when I was completely convinced that bottle aging is a thing. It just has to take decades. Like, yeah. Did, like, did, when, when it's, when it's a spirit. When you had that though, was there like a brown film on the glass on the inside on the the original level of the bottling level was okay and so it's hard to say where the film started and the glass began like what what we really should have done we should have taken we should have checked to see the abv on it Mm. once we opened it Someone we had ordered dumb. it. Someone we had dumb. ordered it. So we were like, we better get this out of here. This, yeah. is, uh, this is a momentous occasion. We better not break the bottle. Yeah. But, but I yeah, think one thing we learned. I think it was water and alcohol evaporated, but mm. not a lot of alcohol or not enough to like spoil it or yeah. go bad. It, it just tasted like a freaking blueberry. Yeah. And I think one thing we learned oh, over the years insane. of opening really old bottles of whiskey and not knowing what you were going to find is what you taste initially after opening it will probably not be what you're going to taste like a day or two or maybe a week later. Like it's going to open up a little bit more. Yeah. It's going to, and usually it gets way better over yeah. that kind of week period. So yeah. if you open any of them and you're like, this tastes weird, I hope I'm okay. Maybe wait a week or two and it might, it might really like come around to where you're yeah. like, holy cow, this is amazing. You know, I've, um, I've, I've actually, I've noticed that with, um, some of our whiskey, even like our most recent bottlings, you know, if you open up a bottle the day it was bottled and take a sip, and then the next bottle that came off the line, wait for a week or two, even. I mean, there is a little element of like bottle shock or something. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, and then, you know, also with like our cask finishes with the Bell Mead line, I, I generally like to give it. Open up a bottle, pour glass, and then come back and revisit a, a week I or totally two later. Agree. And yeah. It's like it's fascinating. Yeah, it's- yeah, I think anything, any good whiskey, anything that's uh, that's distilled with care, that's that's done the right way, anything that's aged, say a little bit longer than usual too. Like some of the eight to twelve year old whiskeys, it's almost like you don't want to drink them when you first open them yeah yeah you want to open them maybe taste them and then revisit them like yeah. a week later or two weeks later if you can uh, because it does seem like 
there's some magic once some a little bit of oxygen is introduced in the equation. Sure. Not as extreme yeah. as wine, but yeah. still. There's all these different little details that go into the whole process. Totally. It's pretty amazing. Do you have any intentions to resurrect any of these other like alternative, like Udavis or... Um... I would love to, absolutely. And I've, I've got like a half or three-quarter full bottle of apple brandy from Whoa. back in the day, which is really cool. Me and Mike, like, you that know, would do really we're, well, we're huge like. fans of apple brandy, yeah. and we would... Yeah, we did we our would... apple brandy episode. Go back really? and check it out. It's great. Yeah, with, yeah. Pat, with Pat Halloran. Nice. Um, we're big amazing. fans of, of apple brandy. You know, it's about September 22nd, the first chill in the air. It's kind of time <laughs> to open apple brandy, and yeah, we can give you a little insider info. Yeah, we can give you a little insider info. It seems like the Lairds seems to disappear in this town, you know, by late October, early mm. November. It's like everybody runs out. Pro so, tip, yeah. It, is, might need, it is true. It, it, it gets allocated. We might need something. I mean, little, uh, I can only speak for ourselves where I work. We, we buy it by the case. Yeah. And yeah. by the end of the fall, we can't get it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I know it's not it's not easy to make apple or peach brandy for that matter and it's it's not cheap but i i still definitely want to do it and you could you do know, peach truck Udavi, sell I, it in the gulch i mean <laughs> um shut up kenneth <laughs> no we we uh maybe i shouldn't say this but we we've talked to them and, oh yeah uh, they're we only like to use the finest ingredients yeah yeah for yeah. sure their peaches are pretty good. Yeah. Dude, we'll, but, we'll put you in touch with Diane at Foggy Ridge. Get you, ooh. Get you those dope-ass apples, yeah. bro. Yeah, that cider is... Dude, she's done. Kill. Oh, speaking of which, what we opened... Mean? What do you mean, done? She's not making cider anymore. She's just focusing really? on the orchard. Yeah. Oh, man, that cider was killer, yeah. I thought. James yeah. Beard-nominated cider company. She 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 hung up the cider the cider side of it last year. Wow. Yeah, which sad, we, we opened product. We opened the Pippin Gold the other day, which had said evaporation. We want to do all of that in due time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. just that, like, there's so much that goes into, you know, just, like, we're, we're trying not to lose focus on our core. Yeah. And want to make sure that we're, we're doing, you know, right by the, you know, with the Tennessee whiskey and with Bellmead bourbon. But, you know, we... I'll give a little bit of insider. breaking news. Yeah, we we, <laughs> Come on. We, we we did we did you know we've got our our craftsman cask collection. Mm-hmm. Is that we, only available at the distillery? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's only available at the Marathon Village location. Yeah. Of uh, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. Yeah, and we tell us about it. So we we do a lot of experimenting within that. Mm-hmm. We may have uh, at some point in the future a. Uh, a cask finish that pays a, a little bit of homage to that apple brandy or something. Oh, cool. cool. I don't want to give right. too much, but... Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. We, we did get a really fun barrel, I think. You know, hopefully it, it's still it's still in the barrel, finishing. Yeah. Our next release of the Caspian, Craftsman Cask Collection will be of a Spanish brandy finished bourbon Mm -hmm. which there's a crazy story behind it like we talked to these guys who had these barrels because i'm probably gonna butcher the story i i need to get a refresher on it because it's been several years we took like 11 year old bourbon two and a half years three years ago and Mm -hmm. started finishing it in these spanish brandy casks 
that were on a ship in Norway and then they were about to leave the port and then like the Nazis came and took over the ship and apparently they didn't realize that there was a bunch of Spanish brandy on the ship and somehow those barrels survived and we got a few of them. Wow. Um, That's crazy. There had been spanish brandy in them for many years wow and pro- probably so it some just nice... like all evaporated and like caramelized into the barrel some per- of it did perhaps I, and I probably know, some of that I think sea air like... some of that ocean breeze i'm sure yeah very interesting that's kind of fun cool oh. Oh, and now oh, the Lord. time has come <laughs> computer music sound effect music it's booze news <laughs> With Kenneth Deadman here on Liquid Gold. What do you got this week that's newsworthy and boozeworthy? I don't know where to start, boys. Well, you have notes, so why don't you just start at the top? Tell me, international or local? Nah, international. Okay, yeah. Jet setter. <laughs> on the whiskey heavy episode, I'd like to um, give a big shout out to the Art Going Distillery's uh, win at the Hong Kong International Wine and Spirits Competition with their 20-year-old blended malt. The malt was a blend of, uh, of both Speyside and Highland, which are pretty close to each other and not incredibly smoky whiskeys, blended with a trace, a minor trace, of uh, scotch that had traveled to the uh, South Pole and back with Polar Explorer uh, Robert Swan. Hmm. The bottles are retailing for... 500 pounds, shit, let me do the conversion there, Brexit, uh, <laughs> fuck. Run it, run it through your Brexit calculator yeah, like, real quick. Uh, if you're getting that back in the United, if you're, if you're getting any alcohol shipped, I, I typically end up paying about twice, twice the price on top of, I don't, I really don't think the exchange is really great right now, guys. $624, or 642 yeah united states dollars dude that really? is 500 pounds god, so. it used to be like two to one huh? yeah i know dude gosh it used to be two to one like so not good. not long ago when you started your whiskey company it was yeah. two to one yeah. it was two to one across the like board easy. like yeah but you were you were also changing it out um as an american you yeah you had that freaking fee and if you're in europe and you're you're using like an ulster an ulster atm your bank would freaking fuck you on it like you were paying like 30 bucks for every like 200 300 yeah <laughs> in britain though like boris johnson keeps on fucking up with his promise not to drink before uh before getting brexit done like he was caught the other day wait what he said that he wouldn't drink yeah he said in january that he wouldn't drink until brexit was done I'm and glad then that he, he was caught drinking least. he was caught drinking within 24 hours oh. at some pub <laughs> like after he had like I, mean, I think he's a good couple. I'll drink to that. <laughs> I always think like politicians are good when they don't get anything done because politicians are never get anything done. No, it's so, kind of so out of the fashion. ones. The ones that get <laughs> shit done, they're you don't see them on TV. They're like yeah, they're they're just dudes in an office. They're bad politicians because like, they're actually getting something done. You mean you do that in your Barry Sanders voice? Barry Sanders. I'm not Bernie, getting anything. Bernie. I'm not getting anything done because I'm trying to run for president. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's like Larry David. (laughs) (laughs) Still in Europe, uh, Ireland is uh, blocking booze ads near schools, trains, buses, daycares, and cinemas. 
the most sweeping booze regulation in the country's history mm. will keep any sort of booze advertising at least 200 meters away from said areas. Wow. Ireland's binge drinking is at 39% of the population admitting to over drinking once a month as opposed to 41% of Australians, 29%. Americans. Do we, he mem- he yeah, memorized I, that. Yeah, I was like watching you. You weren't reading. <laughs> yeah, that, right? like he's like speaking in tongues. <laughs> Tennessee whiskey does just... <laughs> great things to the mind of Kenneth Deadman. That was really impressive. If I don't, yeah, no, dude. Like I have to, I have to get booze news perfect early in the day with weed and coffee and like walking <laughs> my dog. Like I have to be able to. To recite it because if I'm just reading off my phone, I sound like like a broed out robot. A robot. No a robot. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't rest on your laurels too quick. What's the rest of the booze news? Segment? No one wants that shit. In hero news. All right, hero or hero or idiot. Idiot. Four heroes. Mm-hmm. For non idiots. Okay. In Texas, uh, inmates escape a federal prison only to get whiskey and cigarettes to bring back <laughs> apparently they've been doing it forever <laughs> they've been doing it for about a year and we're caught coming back with a shitload of whiskey and a shitload of cigarettes and potato chips i think they've been doing what, that since the original days of nelson's Creambriar <laughs> tennessee whiskey to say what kind of whiskey they got <laughs> no no but like Texas is off the rails, but I'm sure like they either have all that information for you or zero information <laughs> yeah. on it. But only in Texas. That's some inmates good. are going to leave, get a bunch of shit, come back. Yeah, they're caught in some like ditching system around around the perimeter. Golly. Having been tipped off by wow. an, uh, a snitch. Shawshank Redemption. Fucking snitch yeah, out right? there. <laughs> the loser's the snitch. Get busy living or... Get busy trying. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll wrap it up for Booze News. All right. Wow. What, what a long a, one. Dang. Epic version of Booze News today here on Liquid Gold. Thank you for that, Mr. Kenneth Dedman, gone burgundy himself. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Is this where we end the episode? Nearly. Shit. So one thing I want to talk oh, yeah. about before We're we grill leave. Uh-oh. Let's do Let's Are we Parapalooza. Yeah, let's do everything on Oh, yeah, we're going to Parapalooza. Um, <laughs> what other segments no, no, do I we just, never do? Should, so should one, I be nervous? No, no. One cool thing that I came across in my research that I thought was fascinating about your triple great grandfather. Charles Nelson. This is actually, Charles yeah, this Nelson, is really Which great. is your yeah. brother, is your brother Mikey. jealous that you got the name? Uh, yeah. I would imagine so. <laughs> was it a really? random name or is Charlie like a family name? Like? So, so the, Charlie's the, the dude's the, name. The, bro. Yeah, no, but like, so I'll, I'll <laughs> no, explain. It. So, not knowing the story, you wouldn't know that you're. Did you or did you not know? So your I knew. Great, I knew. Great, I knew that like grandfather's Charlie, name was Charlie. I knew that. I knew that like Charlie or Charles and William were both family names, but I didn't know the extent of it. But. The original Charles Nelson, who was born in Germany, his full name was Carl Wilhelm Dietrich Nelson. Hell yeah. Um, and so his father was actually English, which is where he gets the Nelson name, and his mother was German, and then they moved. Anyway, every generation of my family, because the original Carl Wilhelm, his first two names were Charles William, essentially. So his firstborn son was Charles. His secondborn son was William. And so it's like tradition in my family where 
you name your firstborn son after you if you're if you're a Charles like I'm a Charles so my firstborn son's name should be Charles if I had a second son it should be William my brother's name is William Andrews Nelson he goes by Andy but his firstborn son's name should be William his second Charles God it's reading out like and the so, bible yeah I know it's weird yeah um, thou anyway. shall make whiskey <laughs> you shall revive thy whiskey <laughs> but so this is an amazing story I came across all right so it's winter of 1862 in Nashville Tennessee snow falls softly on the well-worn grounds near a grocery store run by Charles Nelson. He had a blend of coffee. Yeah. That, as as I found, um, later became, it was served at the Nash- Nashville's Maxwell House Hotel, later became Maxwell House Coffee. And then, so if you have a, if you want to say a triumvirate of, of products that are still around today, and this is the final sort of connection of that triangle. Mm-hmm. Is this Tennessee whiskey being re-released into the world after 150 years? You had uh, a, a, a blend of coffee that Charles Nelson was working on. And then also he For had a, a like butcher. iconic hotel, Nashville Hotel. Yeah, an a, iconic not Nashville Hotel a, that later became an iconic brand that's still around today. And then he also had a butcher... Because your great, 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 I don't know how many times, three, grandfather was also an accomplished butcher before he went into other businesses. But he also had a butcher um, who later went on to open the H.G. Hill food stores, which are still around today. So what a lightning strike time period in Nashville that your family is so involved in, that is, is so instrumental in. And so that's what I wanted you wanted to ask you about. What kinds of things have you uncovered in, in your own research about? So we know about the whiskey. We know about the the distilleries and and all the products that came from from those distilleries and from all this whiskey that your family was bottling. But there's also the story about the coffee and the story that H. G. Yeah. Hill went on to be his own kind of entrepreneur. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's the, uh, not a lot of people know that part of the story. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool just like uncovering all kinds of things like this cuz growing up I, I I wasn't like I wasn't really interested in my family. Yeah. My yeah you're, you're like I want to do the opposite of my family. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I wanted to like get as far away from where I grew up as possible. Right. Um nothing like you know, I, I love Nashville. And We've I all been the there. Same. I did the yeah. same. Yeah, he went well, to I, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, I feel like there's more there, but um, but uh, always. It's uh, your episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I went to school to college in Los Angeles, and when I would literally every time I would fly back to L.A. from Nashville after like Thanksgiving break or Christmas break or whatever. I would listen to this Love and Spoonful album, and one of the songs on the albums was, I, I can't remember, probably called Never Going Back or something. Mm-hmm. It was like, never going back, no, I'm never going back to Nashville anymore, or something like that, and yeah. I'm a terrible singer, but um, yeah, I'm never going back. I'm just going to like 
travel the world and yeah, we'll walk on the beach, California. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, when after discovering sort of our family's history and just falling in love with it, I was like, man, there's. N- I thought of that song even. I was like, how dumb was I? But finding out the whole thing about like Joel Cheek, who delivered the coffee to Charles Nelson's wholesale grocery business, and that blend ends up becoming essentially Maxwell House coffee. Charles Nelson's butcher, being which is Mr. what Bill. I make at home. Yeah, yeah. Like, nice. That's what I grew up drinking. Yeah, my dad. Yeah. My dad actually, when he when he when he comes to Nashville, he he, he lives an hour south. But when he comes to Nashville, he doesn't stay with me. He's like, no, I'm just gonna get a room at the. Maxwell House, <laughs> <laughs> like the like the new Maxwell House. Yeah, up yeah, in, yeah. Like, the, yeah. The the uh, Millennium Maxwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the Maxwell House, you know, burned, but uh, the original one. But also, like uh, something else that was really cool. So uh, David Ewing, who is you know, you may know him as the the Nashville I wish I knew on yeah. Instagram. Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah. he's, he's great. He told me he was doing research on the Ryman and found that I think it was actually Charles Nelson's son, Charles Nelson, or even grandson who ultimately was on the board of the Ryman, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of cool. And I'm not sure if it was when it was like a church or if it had been the music venue at that time, but that was really cool. She like, y'all had your fingers and everything. Man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was, well, he it was, was like, a, it was a much they smaller. They should do country shows here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great room. <laughs> uh, so uh, another fun story. So um, at third and union. Yep. I'm there. I, I had to. I had, oh, to, like, I th- I I had you're, to put the grid together th- in my head. I thought you were giving the timeout yeah. signal. No, 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 no. Um, okay, so uh, at at Third and Union, there's a little building that it says the Nashville Trust Company, and so Charles Nelson, the original, he built that building to. He started a bank with the whiskey money that wow. uh, he brought in, and then expanded. Uh, next door to one of the two towers, which is the Indigo Hotel. Mm-hmm. And so the story that I was told was that that building was built and then a fierce competitor started building next door to him and they hated each other. And they're fierce competitors. And so first Charles Nelson built his like few story building and then his competitor built like a four story building. And then he built like you know another two stories, and then the competitor builds another three stories. Yeah. Um. But they built it in such a way that they're not the the floors are not flush. So like the idea was that if the uh, two companies ever were bought by a bigger company and were forced to merge, that it was to deter anyone from wanting to do that because. They hated each other so much, and they didn't want it to be easy to just like knock down the wall and merge oh, wow. the two uh, buildings. That's and so cool. now I, I haven't actually done this, but my understanding is that there are two different elevator shafts in the Indigo Hotel. So now the Indo, Indigo Hotel downtown takes both of those buildings. Oh but wow! You have to have depending on where you are uh-huh you know like the 10th floor isn't the 10th floor Whoa. on like you can't it's access. like being john malkovich yeah. <laughs> that's cool yeah there's a seven and a half floor i was thinking that too i was thinking the same thing that's amazing so i lived yeah. i lived across from there at the stallman building for a couple of years just to like try and 
draw inspiration from that. And and, yeah. I, and outside my window, I could also see the first uh, live on the green wow. that happened, which we were like, we used to play ultimate frisbee out in that little. That's awesome. Yeah, I used to. That's like the courthouse. I used to, yeah. grew up skateboarding right there. I mean, you're right. You're right in Prohibition Row right there. I don't have my college notes with me, my Tennessee history notes, but there were a lot of shootouts in the creation of Prohibition in Tennessee, like on that street, on Union, mm. closer to Legislative Plaza. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, on eight, um, you remember the old library? Yeah. So there was a major shootout by... There was like there was politician. There was politician um, and his sons with a competing politician. Yeah. When you when you are walking around downtown Nashville and Nashville in general, it's given me researching for this episode and yeah. thinking about this whole family history thing because I've known the story for a long time. It's like, hey, this is a great story, and I passed it along to guests at Ed Husk, people that are visiting out of town. And you're like, yeah, this is a, yeah, check this out. This is a cool story. So it must give you such a sense of purpose as you're walking around yeah. this town. And it does. Does it ever feel like a burden? Almost? That's a good question. I feel so incredibly fortunate to I'm be sure. yeah. in in this position. And I've I mean, at times it's it does feel like a, a, a little bit of pressure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or just that like like, man, I can't screw this up because yeah. like God, that would not be cool. Yeah. Um but I was thinking while you talked about just walking around downtown Nashville, you, you probably don't want to be walking around downtown Nashville with me uh, at times because I'm like, hey, this is where yeah. my triple great grandfather did this. Yeah. I'm like, this, hey, look over There's here. There's a seven and a half floor up there. You're like, I just, <laughs> I just want to grab a beer and go honky tonk and like, <laughs> come on, leave me. I'm not saying you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just like the average. Uh, no, I know, I know company. what you mean. Like. <laughs> Something that's kind of cool about Nashville, and I think that it's been more than just recently, even. Um, so, I, I, I when I was starting to bring the business back, I was trying to read as as much as I could and learn as much as I could about the history and just like you know of Nashville, but also the industry. And I read this book, Fortune Fiddles and Fried Chicken: A Business History of Nashville. Well, and. It's, it's pretty interesting how big of a role little old Nashville has played in big national economic development. Like the amount of businesses from healthcare to fast One food. Nashvillians. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that it has a lot to do with just the, the disposition of the folks from Nashville and the people of Nashville, but also like our uh, location, geographically speaking, I may butcher these numbers, but Nashville is within like 500 mile radius of over 50% of the U S population, it's which, pretty insane. which is incredible. Yeah. And, the, accessi sense, yeah. the accessibility I mean, of Nashville and its products and its people and its mm -hmm. culture and everything is it, it is very accessible. And so people can come in and try a Goo Goo Cluster or, you know, listen to country music or hear, you know, one of the best broadcasts of, you know, country music in the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. And, Anyway, I'm starting it's pretty to fascinating. a little bit, but no, it's it, it is. It's, great yeah, depending place. on it traffic, is. you can get a huge experience in Nashville in not a lot of time. Yeah, 
I know growing up, we wouldn't have said that like we de- designed the city to be like an efficient entertainment thing, but <laughs> literally like party here for six hours and go back to the airport and Nash Vegas. <laughs> go, back to, go back to bed. Well, this has been amazing. Um, Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey is back in yeah. Nashville, back in Tennessee. Yeah, congratulations, dude. Pretty Thanks. amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Charlie Nelson. It has been my pleasure. We've loved making you drinks over the years. I said we'd give the recipe for the gateway drink, and all we did for that one, we were doing two ounces of Bellmead bourbon. We did a half ounce of lemon juice. We did a half ounce of an apricot liqueur. And then we also had a ginger syrup in there, quarter ounce of a ginger syrup, a dash of Angostura. If you shake that up and serve it up, you can you can serve it over ice, but we recommend serving it up. Serve it up. And then we had a little lemon, lemon verbena wheel. or lemon. Lemon verbena. Where are you going to get balm, that, Mike? Some lemon your herbs. Backyard. Yeah, probably. And it was just a beautiful drink. So that is your gateway whiskey drink. And it would be beautiful with this Nelson's Tennessee whiskey here in our hands and in our glasses. And I want to mention something that they write on the back of the bottle, which I think is cool. We believe it's time the 21st century got to know the original Tennessee whiskey, and we hope you'll agree it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait, brother. Thank you. It's a beautiful thing. It's worth the wait, dude. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. We want to throw a shout out. Yeah. No, we're so so proud of you. Thank you. We want to throw a shout out to our producer, Michael Eads. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. And to We Own This Town, weownthistown.net. And we've got a lot of... Uh, amazing holiday things coming up on the show here. We're going to talk Thanksgiving and wine coming up real soon. We're going to have an episode that you can cook to and you can drink to as you're getting ready for Thanksgiving. We're going to have, we're going to talk hot chocolate. Kitchen tips. We're going to talk some, yeah, we're going to give some kitchen secrets. We're going to talk to, I don't think we can give her name. She's just like a social media icon. Nash girl eats. Media <laughs> we have to check icon. if she can, if we can An use her name or not. Our first influencer episode. But, but nice. she's she's gonna be on to talk holiday entertaining, and we've got sparkling wine to talk about. Eggnog. We'll circle back to hot chocolate. All those things, and that is coming up here on the show. So for Charlie Nelson, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving and Thank holiday. Thank you very much. And for my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Deadman, love you, brother. Love you too, Mike. Love you, Charlie. Love you, Charlie. (laughs) Love you guys. You're fucking cool, dude. We'll see you soon. Y'all are the best. Here on Liquid Gold. Cheers. Cheers. Later, Tater.